You're listening to Visions of Education, a podcast where we take a look at big ideas in education from different perspectives. Hi, I'm Michael Milton, a high school teacher from Massachusetts. And I'm Dan Kretka, an education professor in Texas. We're here to help bridge the gap between educators in the K-12 and those professors in higher ed. We hope this podcast will help bring those fuzzy ideas in education into focus. Michael, politics are an important part of citizenship, right? We know that as social studies people. Yes, absolutely. Did you talk politics like in your household growing up much? Was that like a part of your family culture? No, never. Why? Nothing? No, it was something that we did not do in our house. I didn't think you were allowed to. My dad was very conservative and he listened to talk radio and I would hear him talk with his friends sometimes. But in the house, he never spoke of it. And if my grandparents were around, who were very, they're um, very liberal, there would be lots of fights. And so that's when I realized that that's why we don't do it. And so my life, we just didn't, we never talked about it at home. There's probably like lots of, yeah, lots of like family stuff that came before you. You don't even know about that led to this agreement that we shall not discuss politics. I wonder when they sat around with that rule or like, okay, this is it. This is how we're going to get along with each other. I don't know. I feel like the, the the Milton elders like had a conversation. We're not exposing Michael to this. He's not going to be part of it. That's like your voice. You do. I just stole it. <laughs> you did. That is, that's exactly what they did. Yeah. There was some big meeting. We're not going to, yeah. We're not going to expose him to this terribleness. Right. Not going to bring him into the toxic culture. Yeah. We're is just going to keep it? him is... isolated, which seems like the best thing to do. Right. Hide it. Right. It's... Yes. I'd, well, if I've learned anything, it's that pushing anything far away makes it go away forever, right? It never pops back up. Um, yeah, we didn't talk politics in my house much either. Although I feel like I got a sense of like what my parents thought were important. Like I feel like I had a handle for it. For example, like they listened to NPR. I feel like that was a signifier of something. And they seemed to care about certain things, you know, that, that were important. My mom had a lot of interests in supporting organizations for all kinds of groups and things. Those are always important to her. And so I feel like I got a lot of my parents' values, but it was not done explicitly. In college, I really wanted to know more. So I joined the Young Democrats and the Young Republicans because I thought that, that, that I'd be able to figure it out then. And that was a really interesting thing to do. And sometimes there were mixers, which I believe is what they called them. But when you'd have, you know, Democrats and Republicans there, and I never really knew what to do because I was still trying to, I don't know, invent, not invent, but try to figure out where I belonged because it was just something that, again, we never had done. And then eventually I did withdraw from one club. Fun fact, the like most popular punk rock band in my high school was called Young Republicans. Nice. That's just... Yeah, like my friend's brother was in it. He's a pretty good bassist. So I think, you know, we're both social studies educators, as if anyone's listened to any episodes of this, I feel like we bring that up a lot. Uh, But, you know, that's supposedly the purpose of our entire field is citizenship education, right? That we're supposed to be bringing students into being citizens through an understanding of history, through an understanding of geography, through an understanding of political science and government. And so we're supposed to be helping them prepare but I think sometimes we can lose that focus and just focus on the disciplines, right? Like we're just learning history for history's sake. Right. I mean, do you feel like we do you, your school and you do a good job of like focusing on the citizenship component? How does this actually translate? I would like to do better. Sometimes I'm stuck in my world two bubble. Well, we don't do citizenship here. It's a world two. 
But yeah, when you step back and you like really think about it, you realize that it's more than just politics. It's also like understanding your world around you. That's part of it. Well, sometimes we have to look outside the social studies for people to show us how to really, you know, help grow citizens. And with that, we have a tremendous guest, someone who I work with, Shannon Janovitz. And I believe that's the first time I've ever used your first name. <laughs> hi, Michael. Ooh, hi. <laughs> no, yes. you can say hi, Michael. That's, what <laughs> okay. that's what Hi, Michael. Hi, Dan. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? Um, so I think we should start with you telling me all the lowdown gossip on Michael at school. What were his most embarrassing moments? And <laughs> I don't think he has too many embarrassing moments. He's highly respected at Burlington. See? He's a great educator. These are things <laughs> I learned today. <laughs> <laughs> Shen, can you tell us a little bit more about, about yourself, who you are? Yeah. Tell us a bit about yourself. Okay. Well, I'm an English teacher. I have been teaching at Burlington for, I think, 12 years. I grew up in Massachusetts, and I had a brief stint teaching in Colorado. I think that was for two years. And after that, came back to Massachusetts, taught in my hometown for a little while, and then ultimately landed in Burlington. My um, the sort of the reason I went into teaching outside of loving literature was really to connect with students and to you know, I think a lot of teachers go into teaching for that sort of idealistic reason of trying to contribute and and help improve the world that we see by working with students who are going to ultimately be in that world. So in my uh, teacher education, I took a bunch of classes on how to infuse social change into your curriculum, the concept of social change into your curriculum. And so that's sort of been my passion. And even though I've been teaching AP literature and composition for quite a few years, which is really much more focused just on getting into the language of the literature and, you know, taking multiple choice tests and whatnot, I really have been trying to infuse sort of citizenship, civic engagement, and basically learning how to be part of the real world and not just learning how to write essays into my curriculum. That is sort of where I am right now. Michael, we should have a 12-year club because Jose Wilson was our last guest on episode 50, and he's been teaching 12 years. So, oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. I don't it's know. It's been a good just 12 a, years. Yeah, it's a good – and it was interesting him talking about it again and kind of like the wisdom he's gained in, in the longer he's been in the classroom. And so, I don't know. He was speaking to, to that in the last episode. Yeah, I think – I mean, the longer I'm in the classroom, the more I want to do things out of the classroom with students. I have like a, a music club and a poetry club at school and film, and I sort of use all of those venues to get at this concept of engagement, not only just with those amazing things, poetry and music and film, but how can we use those things to talk about what we want in terms of being responsible, being members of a community, that kind of thing. Would you say that's kind of the, the overall purpose of English instruction in school? I mean, because again, supposedly our field, you know, that's what we say is that citizenship Education is like the end focus of social studies. Would you say that community engagement or helping people grow as better versions of themselves? What's the purpose of, of English? I would say that exactly that. The, the idea of like sort of why we read books is not only to understand how to read literature and how to think critically and how to, you know, basically break down a passage and talk about the symbols and whatnot. I think it's much more about how, what does the story tell us about who we are and who we want to be and how to engage with the world around us. And I think 
sort of late, especially as an AP teacher, I sometimes get worried that we're spending far too much time focusing on that analytical piece and not allowing students to get out of the text and apply it to themselves and apply it to the world. And I don't think we're giving them as many opportunities as we should be to actually interact with the world because of that literature or with those ideas they take from learning that literature. Absolutely. I, I know I felt that way in my teaching of AP, that it was really important to to help add a layer to the curriculum that had those big compelling questions for our lives. And I tried to do it on the front end because students don't find a lot of inherent meaning in studying bureaucracy um, in a U.S. government and politics <laughs> class. But, you know, right. if we talked about how does bureaucracy affect our lives in real ways and, you know, I think that they there was places we could find connections. Yeah, I mean, we read, for example, Summer Reading. We read 1984, which seems timely now. <laughs> 1984, Brave New World. And we read The New Jim Crow. So they had to get all this work that applied to the real world in connection to those texts. And we went from there to Beowulf talking about leadership and the reluctant fundamentalists, where there are all these texts that have so much relevance today that I wanted to make sure that we were talking about outside of these are ideas that we can apply to today, but how can we also actually do something with those ideas? I, I use 1984 as my summer read in AP government, so oh. maybe we do have more in common than we thought. <laughs> yes, we should collaborate. So speaking of doing something, okay. it seems like your your citizenship challenge really gets to the heart of building community and, and building citizens. Can you tell us a little more about that about that project and how it came about? Sure. So you know, being a an election year, obviously, and the issues that came with that election. We spent some time talking about the speeches, various um, speeches that the candidates presented, and we looked a lot at uh, President Obama's farewell address. We started just looking at the language, and then we were applying it to some of the text that we read. But Specifically, in President Obama's farewell address, he talks about our responsibility as a citizen, that we all have responsibility as a citizen. So we, in class, just work to identify what does that mean? What do we think responsible citizenship is? So it started as this sort of one-off thing that just came up randomly in class that students got sort of excited about. And the timing of it was right around the Women's March. And that weekend, I had spent a lot of time thinking about how can I talk about this in class and what, how can I make it meaningful outside of just making it sort of a political discussion. So when I came back to school on Monday after the Women's March, um, some of the students had went and some of the students had a lot to say about it. So we talked about our definition of responsible citizenship and how we could sort of apply that definition to encourage civic action that didn't cut people off. I think that they were talking about that the march was so uh, sort of had these divisive properties and some students in school were really unhappy about the the students wearing their pink hats and their futures female t-shirts. And so we talked about how do we then create an environment where people know how to talk to each other? How do we create sort of a not really a space, but the you know give people the skills that they need to talk about it. I talk to my students all the time about how my father and I have very different political views and that I have really had to develop my own skills in learning how to talk to him and to spend a lot of time researching what he, you know, what he believes. And so I'm, I'm very aware and I feel informed and I'm not just coming at him with my own ideology. So basically, we really felt like as responsible citizens, you can't just 
have your own beliefs and sort of live there. You need to understand others. You need to work to talk to them. They, they decided they needed, people needed to seek knowledge. They needed to have open communication. They needed to present like a loyalty to country, but also at the same time be really, you know, accepting and welcoming of all other cultures. That was what was important to them. And so that's where sort of the whole thing started. We decided to come up with this responsible citizenship challenge because they felt it was accessible to students and could ha be fun. And some students, although a lot of people wouldn't probably do every day in the 30-day challenge, that they would probably take part a little bit here and there. And we also felt that it was something that the school community could get involved in. So they tried really hard to create opportunities for classes outside of our class for like different, we definitely reached out to the other English classes, but we sent stuff out to the whole school and to the principal and the uh, superintendent to see if we could foster some kind of collaboration and get other classes involved. They really want to make sure that all students feel sort of welcome and part of the conversation as opposed to just having these very split groups within the building. So getting out of your bubble and uh, yes, yeah, you know, the echo chamber and all that. Yes, I don't know. Sometimes it's nice being in an echo chamber, though. It makes me feel <laughs> validated. I do feel happy in my echo chamber, but I acknowledge the need to get out of it. Well, and in an actual echo chamber, you can just say what you believe and it'll echo back to you. And you'd be like, oh, I agree. <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> so, one thing I'm thinking about as, as we get into more details about like how you operated this citizenship challenge. I think it's obviously important that we find ways to talk about difficult issues. I think that's part of the work of, of a democracy, right? That we yeah. don't all agree and that's okay and we have to come together. But it's interesting even thinking about like the Women's March because a lot of women and you know allies came to the Women's March because they felt a sense of exclusion from opportunities and parts of society. And so it's interesting how do you engage that when someone's coming into it with a sense of like, I want a more equitable society and other people are kind of like rejecting them at the the front end of it, you know, because it's such an affront to a sense of I want justice and someone else not seeing it as a justice issue. You know what I mean? And those are where I often see those like barriers and, and walls come up between groups. And it's hard. That's, I think, always the one of the challenges. And I think I think on top of that, the other thing I've found really difficult is what if someone's vision isn't inclusive? How do we have conversations, you know, what do you think? I don't know. Is that something that comes up early on in your project or is that something like a, another long-term issue? It did come up early on. We, the, one of the challenges was to, you know, have a conversation with someone who has a different political ideology than you are, who voted for a different presidential candidate. And we came up with all these uh, discussion questions and we met with students from different classes and my student said that one of the struggles that they had was obviously they want to remain open and they want to engage in a dialogue and don't they don't want to be emotional and they don't want to be sort of destructive. But they had a hard time when the people they were talking to had beliefs that they felt were really they're like, I just don't agree with what this person has to say. And I'm having a hard time not responding in a way that doesn't call them out for not being inclusive or whatever. So there was a lot of issues in learning how to talk about ideology, learning how to talk about values and beliefs without being sort of offensive or without really being aggressive. 
And so we talked about that after that they struggled with it. And it's certainly still something that we have to continue working on. We talked about what they did, how they approached it, how they felt after and how they, they felt their, their sort of conversation partner felt, but it is not an easy thing. And it's not something that I could say to them. I know the answers, you know, I get emotional when people disagree with my, my personal values and beliefs and trying, you know, you have to figure out a way to talk to people without shutting them down. Right. And I mean, that makes sense. Like if our aim is to continue a dialogue, right, among parties, of course, that's not everyone's aim. And I know that and and particularly some people who I think want like really good things. I think sometimes they've said, you know, of course, the dialogue is important, but like I'm going to spend my efforts in making change in spaces with people who want to make change because, you know, and I've I've met I I hadn't thought about that because I always wanted to push forward the dialogue. But I also understand some people who wouldn't want to engage in it, too, you know, because it can be a space where, for example, they are having to argue for their own humanity because you're saying, well, I don't think your rest of your family should be able to come to this country. Um, Somebody says that. And then it's like, you know, I'm going to (laughs) take myself out of this conversation and go work with a group that's like wants my family here. So that, that happened, yeah. They were basically, it was like um, a student was talking about wanting to be safe and agreeing with some policies that my student didn't necessarily agree with. And ultimately, they basically just parted ways. <laughs> they agreed to disagree and moved along, which, and my student was really concerned. They were like, I didn't progress anything. It's not like I was in there to change his mind. I understood his point. I still don't believe, you know, the, the same thing that he believes. But I don't want to continue that conversation. So, I mean, obviously there are a lot of struggles and it's it's not like a citizenship project in school is going to change that. But the hope was that it would at least help people to start navigating how to go about it. So what were the components of the project? What were the things you guys did? Well, for... The, the class, like my students had to, they created a website, they came up with 30 challenges that they felt reflected, or were actions that reflected responsible citizenship, specifically their definition of responsible citizenship. They held a few events, they, they did a lot of promotion. My other goal was to get them involved in a lot of real world writing. So we did things like we had a lesson on civic discourse and how to post online comments and engage with people in online comments in an effective way where they had to write blog posts, that kind of thing. So some of the events, they ranged in, in sort of level from things like give somebody a high five in the hallway. Cause one of their def- part of their definition is that you build community and they feel like in Burlington high school, people sort of engage with their own group and that's about it. And they felt like if we're going to understand other people, we need to know other people. So we're going to reach out. So that was one of my favorite days. I had like <laughs> three or four high fives that day. Yeah, my um, students seemed nice. like it. They also said it was challenging because they said most people in the hallway are on their phones and people think you're weird if you just go up to them and high five, which I get. But they enjoyed it. When I was in, I actually went to DC for the Women's March. And when I got there, there was somebody on the subway that had a sign that was uh, like free hugs. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And then the person next to him was like $1 hugs. And I was like, has anyone come to you? Because I'm just taking the free hug. So, um, but but I do see like engaging with someone you don't know, it, it does take you a little out of your comfort zone, like your little yeah. space that you live in. And it also maybe brings to mind, right? Like, oh, I should who am I not engaging with? Like it, it right. gets that, that thought process. Okay. So what else, what else did you guys do? So 
we we created a trivia night which got canceled because of snow but one of them was to like research america's involvement in different foreign issues and to identify ways that america has been helped by other nations so we had a trivia night which sadly was canceled but the students came up with great questions we had an equity event where um which it's kind of cheesy, but we called it ice cream for equity. And we gave out ice cream and people sat and talked about what they believed equity meant and how can we work to better, you know, make our country more equitable, make our school more equitable. What were the challenges? So that was fun. They had to uh, write a letter to a political leader or a social activist. There was another day that was to write a letter to a soldier or a veteran talking to them about why they felt that service was important and to express gratitude. So they really ranged. Some of them were significantly more involved, like writing letters. One was to write an argument essay, to to research political issues, to find credible sources on an issue that present both sides of an argument. So the goal was to sort of teach them about information literacy, to teach them how to, or to give them opportunities to reflect, to give them opportunities to reach out to members of the community, to research members of the community. I think the International Women's Day challenge was to research a female social activist. And it was like, you know, tweet what you learned about that woman. (laughs) They had to wear that ask me about stickers. So there was like asking about Amelia Earhart or whatever, and they would engage in conversations with people throughout the day. And then they would sort of reflect in class about that experience. So again, they ranged. And some of them were easy and fun, where others involved work. And we definitely got more involvement from students on the easy, fun ones than the ones that involved work, unless their teacher assigned it, was basically how it went. You don't often, we are stuck in our departmental bubbles. Yeah, we are. And so, like, there's so much neat stuff that you are doing that, Maybe it's because I was in another hallway and doing research papers, which is my my big thing, that I wasn't (laughs) able to take part because all this stuff is stuff that we should, I mean, that in social studies department, we should be doing. And it's interesting to realize that there is that cross, that crossover with the, with English that we just don't ever, you know, we don't ever see each other. I know. And I felt kind of obnoxious sending out these emails to the whole faculty like hey everybody this is the project I'm doing these are some teacher materials these are some lessons you could use like basically hit me up if you want to collaborate Um, and I mostly got English teachers I did get support definitely from the faculty but there isn't a lot of opportunity aside from our few you know we have that common planning time which is new this year but there isn't a lot of opportunity for that work to happen I'm hoping that we're sort of moving towards in that direction that'd be great yeah. And that yeah, and that's the value of having being able to spend time together to to plan um some of the things schools are doing initiatives. It would be really cool to have more people not only participating but like finding ways to connect it to things they're doing in their classroom. Um right. to kind to kind of, you know, I think if you bridge it across classes it can start to take a little more meaning. Um one thing I was going to mention is a lot of the activity some of the activities that you had reminded me of Teaching Tolerance has a mix it up at lunch day. I don't know if you've ever seen that initiative. And the whole point was to to go like kind of cross social boundaries to talk to people who are different from you to kind of, you know, let those stereotypes melt away as you get to know people who maybe you held stereotypes about. Dan, you're never going to guess. Was that one of the days? That was totally one of the challenges. Yes. Sit at a different table in the cafeteria. It was like make new friends. We only had a few people who authentically participated in that. Some of them were like, I sat at a different table, but it was mostly with people I knew. 
So the ones who did participate authentically said that they actually learned a lot about people that they don't interact with. And, you know, my students weren't sharing that they had assumptions about the students that they were sitting with, but they definitely said my eyes were sort of open to their experience in school. I don't, they're not in any of my classes. They have a whole different experience than I do throughout the day. They do things, different things after school than I do. So there were definitely a few new friends, which was nice. I think that is, it's another opportunity that we should take advantage of. I think that's the, and on the beginning of October, the end of October, they have that national mix it up at lunch day, right? Something like that. I'm hoping to make that more of an annual thing anyway. Sometimes I eat lunch with a different department. Um, Mr. Milton started the movable feast at BHS, I did. which is amazing. It's definitely like one department's hosting a lunch, come other faculty from other departments eat with us. And the, I just went to the one in the art department last weekend and I actually was collaborating with a teacher about a potential trip, um, poetry slash world language trip. That sounds so, amazing. Yes. See, Thank you, Mr. Milton. <laughs> Hey, it, it's what I do sometimes. Good work. So if I was a, from another school and I want to implement like a citizenship challenge, what advice or what resources could you share? Well, you can check out the website that the students created, which is, I think it's bhscitizens.weebly.com. That gives you the whole, it gives you basically the whole process that, that we went through. It gives it like, you know, tells the students created it, but it tells them what it's about and why we did it gives you the calendar of events. One of the things I had my students do is to try to come up with resources for some of the different challenges. And it, there is one section of it called teacher materials. And so there are a few lesson plans that correspond with those with specific challenge actions uh, with rubrics and whatnot. And they are available for anyone to do what they want with to alter, update, make more effective. But the goal was to create something that existed outside of this one month and this one challenge and to hopefully get it out there. And I know the students, even though my students are seniors this year, they really are hoping that this is something that we can expand and continue to do. I have definitely spoken to community members in Burlington who are like, oh, can we work with you next year on like a, you know, sort of have students register to vote? Can we talk to them about the importance of local government? Can we have some of the local candidates come in? So there is definitely a lot of opportunity to make it bigger than what it was this year. And I'm hoping it catches on that way. Are there any things that might be difficult for people to get this started? At some of the top, I mean, the topics are primarily, there's a lot of politics in the topics and connected to citizenship and civic engagement. I was concerned initially that the that our principal, Mr. Sullivan, might not be excited about the project, but he was very excited about the project and helpful. And the other thing is a lot of teachers don't want to touch it because of that. So even in my my department where I, I introduced it to the department and I said, these are the, you know, these are the days we're going to be in the lower library working on these activities. If you want to bring your class down and every, you know, for the most part, everybody's excited, but some people are sort of hesitant. And, you know, I come here to talk about of mice and men. I don't want to talk about what's the rest of the world because I'm sick of hearing about these political issues and the division. And so there's some of that resistance, I think, in in schools. That's the nature of schools. And, you know, people have different ways to approach things. So I was concerned that that would be a problem. And I think that for some, you know, maybe for some teachers and depending on the building, depending on the culture of your school, that could be a problem. But it went over pretty well in terms of administration. 
other things is really student buy-in. Like if students aren't going to do it, it's going to be a waste of your, right. not really a waste, but it's going to make all of that work seem less meaningful. And so we, we did, the, the students were concerned about that. So they, we, they bribed people a little bit. There were, there were prizes for engaging in these challenges. And one class won a pizza party, which is happening next week, which is very exciting. But they got gift cards once a week that gave away to you know local businesses that donated stuff. And so anybody who submit their work to Google Classroom would be put in this list and would pull a name randomly. And so somebody won each week. I don't really think anybody was participating for the gift card to you know be good or pressed cafe, but they were excited when they won. So I'm not sure what the incentive is outside of some teachers gave extra credit. Some teachers made it part of their classroom assignments. We didn't have a lot of students who were just doing it because they wanted to do it. Yeah. So I think that the biggest issue is going to be getting people to be excited about it and to really buy into it. One thing that I did in my classes, and this particularly my AP government classes, is post AP test immediately after the test ended. I think some teachers just like give their kids like mental breaks and put on a movie or something because the students work so hard. Um, I wasn't that nice. I I wanted to use the time to do some of the stuff we didn't get to do during the year. And so it was a lot less intellectual in this sense, but I think important to citizenship. And we worked on community projects. And so each class would determine a community project they agreed on and we would do it. And we had all kinds like for one class, for example, just created a system for collecting. We were in a school with a lot of resources and wealth. And we we what we did is during locker cleanouts and around that, we sifted through all the items and and took the items that were in good condition and worth using and took those to schools where students lacked resources. That was one project. Another group, you know, went and um, actually spoke. They like got all together, put their resources and somebody went and spoke before city council to improve the recycling in our city because that was important. And, you know, we ended up having like two and a half weeks and we worked on it every day in class. Like, and so we would say like, what can groups do? And so I think that helped a lot because that allowed them to help pick the topics, like what was important to them and what they could do in their own communities. So I think it helps, but it's also a good to have like, you know, supportive principles like yeah. Mr. Mr. Sullivan, right? Do you guys yeah, ever sing? Do you guys ever sing his name to like the Bye Bye Birdie um, track? Because I think that needs to happen. <laughs> Mr. I Sullivan. No, never. <laughs> no. Well, you you can bring that into. That's the one idea I will now contribute <laughs> to your school. Thank you. One of the challenges was to uh, commit to like volunteer work. I know my goal is to. We have a we have like a job shadow day at school. One of my goals is to make a, a community service day at school. That would be amazing. Yeah, we've updated the senior curriculum and part of the essential questions. A lot of the literature is based on hero, the hero's journey. So we're trying to sort of tailor that to focus on what does it mean to be a hero in your community and how can you engage in civic action in order to, you know, be a hero, not like Superman or whatever, but to do, you know, what does it mean to be a community hero? So part of, they have a project at the end of next year, it's going to be the first time we do it, where they have to come up with a way to engage with their community and they have to present what they did. So I'm hoping that a lot of these conversations are going to help students to participate in that more effectively and to hopefully, you know, create some work that's really positive for the world around them. So listen, Shannon, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been really great. And I feel like I'm happy this is happening in my school and I hope that it can happen elsewhere. Yeah, me too. Thank you for having me. I am also really hopeful that this 
becomes it should become a whole movement. So Shannon, where can our listeners find you and your work online? Uh, uh, I guess I'm at Twitter at, at Mrs. Janovitz. And the website that the students created is bhscitizens.weebly.com. And we'll make sure to link that in our show notes that we, we put out. Great. Thank you. So again, thank you so much for joining us today. And we will definitely try to continue the conversation online. People can tweet questions at Miss Janovitz. We'll put your Twitter handle in the show notes. And uh, we can continue the conversation. Okay. Thank you so much. So at the Vision of Education podcast, we are all about sharing the learning. If you're doing something great, innovative, or you just want to chat, go ahead and tweet us at Visions of Ed. Or we have a Facebook too. And we're on Pinterest. I don't know what we're doing there, but we're definitely there. And of course, if you haven't already, subscribe to Visions of Education on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you want to be. If you write us a five-star review, then we'll read it on the air, and it helps people find this show. So please do so. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Dan Kretka. And I'm at 42ThinkDeep. Until next time, this is the Visions of Education podcast, signing off. And just as a disclaimer, we are not actually on Pinterest, so don't spend your time looking for us there. But if you write us a five... Are we really? Yeah, we're there. Oh, I guess I should keep up with that. When when did that decision happen? Don't worry. I didn't know. That's hilarious.